Good morning. Man, I hope you're ready for the word of God. The scripture is inspired of God. You hear it? Breathed of God and is profitable. Somebody say profitable. That is what we're after. God wants to move us forward in life. So man, it's a joy to have you. It doesn't matter if you're at one of our physical campuses that are on the north and south ends of Abilene. Maybe you're part of our online family. Love having you with us as we encourage each other to take our next step with Jesus because when we journey with Jesus, when we take steps with him, it leads to God's best in life. One of the things I value so much around Beltway Park, love that we value it, is that we hold to a belief. We are utterly, absolutely confident of this, that God is going to take us. I mean, let's be honest. There's really nothing world famous about us, is there? When I travel the world and I tell them I'm from Abilene, that means there's a lot of explanation that has to happen afterwards to tell them where Abilene is in relationship with, as you know, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, and things like that. I mean, there's not a lot of people that know our city. There's not a lot of people that know our church. That doesn't matter. God made a promise that he would take a no-name church on the edge of a no-name city of the world, and he would use that church to touch the world for eternity. And I want to let you know he is doing that, man. You can just pick it. We are in India. We are in Ghana. We are in Israel and China and the Ukraine, nations around the world. We have 95 ministry partners around the United States and around the world where we partner with for the sake of the gospel to the nations of the earth. In 2023, we are going to take 35% of our general revenue and we are going to use it to do two things. We are going to show the love of Jesus to our city. We're going to love our city and we're going to love the world. Come on, is that not incredible? We love that reality. Because of that, one of the privileges of my life is I sometimes get to travel to partner with our partners. And I actually love it. I, I never dreamed that this boy from a small town in the Texas panhandle would be going to the places of the earth but I've been to so many different cultures and I love the beauty in differing cultures and the various ways that we do life and faith. But I'm just gonna say straight up, my comfort zone is in being an American. I mean, to be really more honest, my comfort zone is being a Texan. You know what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying we're better than anyone else. I have discovered that there are things that God has placed in every culture, redemptive things that we need to learn from, that we can grow from. But after I have traveled, there are things that just bring comfort to my being. And I make sure that I do those things pretty quick, like one of the first meals, if not the first meal that I eat upon return to the United States and to Texas is Tex-Mex. You know what I'm saying, right? Listen to me. Some people will tell you when you travel, we've got great Mexican food where we are. Do not believe them. It is not true, even in Mexico. It is not the same, man. They got good Mexican food. They don't have good Tex-Mex. You know what I'm saying? That's where I'm at. The book of Revelation says that at the end of time, right after Jesus returns and finishes the restoration of all things, that we're gonna celebrate that restoration of all things with what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I have a theory. I don't know that this theory is accurate or true, but it is my theory that the marriage supper of the Lamb will be a potluck. It'll be all the foods from various cultures of the world. We as Texans, we're gonna bring something. We're gonna bring 
chips and salsa. You know what I'm saying, right? Maybe even more than salsa. We might just have an array of dips. We'll have some good guac over here. We'll have some good queso. I am just saying, that is my go-to when I get back. And when I'm eating Tex-Mex, there's a question. It's a question I not only like, it is a question I adore. It's a simple question. I love to hear, do you want a refill? I love to drink a lot of fluid with my meals. Man, it doesn't matter if it's water, tea, still the occasional Coke, and for you non-Texans, Coke is a generic term that refers to anything that is a soda. And before you make fun of us as Texans, just ask yourself, do you use a Kleenex or do you use a tissue when you do it, right? Because people all over the world are using Kleenex, the same thing. Anyway, around the world, they don't do a lot of fluids with their meals. Like they give you something that's in little bitty tiny glasses. And ice, ice is like as valuable as gold in other places of the world. They don't fill it up, they, they don't know what they're doing. They don't do refills unless you're willing to pony up and pay for every pour that they bring. And that includes water in many cases. I've learned to adjust. I can survive for a week or two in situations like that. But you know what I'm saying? But when I get home and I go to that Tex-Mex place, first thing I do is I chug whatever it is I'm drinking. Because then that's going to force the waiter or waitress to show up, right? And that waiter or waitress is going to look at me and say, sir, do you want a refill? And I hear that question and it brings something warm and tingly inside my being. And I smile and I say, yes, I do. And I look at her or look at him and say, and you're going to have to keep them coming. I've got some makeup to do here from being out of the country. Come on. We as Americans, we love our bottomless cup. Doesn't matter if it's your coffee at the local diner or tea at a restaurant. That bottomless cup represents fulfillment. It represents satisfaction. It represents abundance. I mean, I can have until I want or need no more. Now, you want to know what's amazing? God is asking that question of you and I right now. But what he is offering to refill us with is so amazing. It is so mind-blowing. It is so beyond our comprehension that I think we easily dismiss it as something that is a hyper-spiritual talk of church, but we don't believe it can be reality. I mean, come on, we were told if something's too good to be true, it's probably not, except when it comes to the things of God. And when it comes to the things of the kingdom, the kingdom regularly has things that are too good to be true. And God makes an offer to you and I that is far grander, far more satisfying, far more fulfilling than we can ever imagine. And it's, the offer is actually found in the text we've been exploring for a couple of weeks. So maybe you want to grab your Bible and you want to turn to Paul's letter to Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible underneath your chair, the chair in front of you are black colored Bibles at both campuses. You can turn to page 978 in that Bible. And while you're looking, you're finding that place in the text, something you want to explore at a later time and really look at. What, let me tell you about something we're going to start next week. Say next week. We are going to start a journey called Handle with Care, Christianity and Culture. I'm confident that the current cultural climate that we're in right now is far more like the Roman Empire of Jesus' day than it was the United States of America 100 years ago. But Jesus came and he modeled for us how to walk in such a culture the way he wants us to walk. And I believe Jesus, who came full of grace and truth, the Bible says, 
can show us how we can navigate the issues of the day, the things that dominate the news, like abortion, sexuality, gender identity, politics. We're just going to hit the big ones, okay? And we are going to learn how to walk in in a way that is like Jesus. Our world needs the model of Jesus today more than ever. I want to encourage you to be here. This would be a great series to bring a friend to. And we're doing this because the passage we've been looking at, this passage that I believe sets the pace for our church in 2023, it implores us, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days we live in are evil. In the Bible, the idea of walking is an image of the choices we make, choices we make each and every day. Listen to me. The choices we are making every day are taking us somewhere. And the Bible says that. Watch your steps. Make sure you're going where you want to go. The heart of the Father is that we would have what is best. That is what he longs for. But until Jesus returns, finishes the restoration of all things, till we have that marriage supper of the Lamb where we're celebrating that restoration of all things, the days we live in are evil. And evil means we can be easily distracted. So in the midst of all that is happening in the world, he says, be very sober, be very mindful, and watch your steps. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of God, when we walk in it, leads us to the best in life. We unpacked these three verses over the last two weeks. For some reason you weren't here, you can always pick up messages on our website, betway.org, or our podcast. Now look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the way this command is written in the original language, it refers to something that's not one time, but something that is continual. Like, I could tell you that this verb, be filled, is in the present passive imperative, but you're probably going to say, well, that's just all Greek to me. You're just going to have to trust me in the moment that when the original reader looked at this, and they heard the phrase, but be filled with the Spirit. They knew it actually reads, be continually filled with the Spirit. If I may, God is asking, do you want to refill? But if I ask you today, if you could get really gut level honest with yourself, what do I want to refill of? What is it in life that I really want more of? I bet we would all have to confess that there are things that we want more of far more than we want more of God's spirit. Maybe we're more concerned. I know I get that way, that I'm more concerned about getting a refill of the drinks that I have at a restaurant, or maybe I want a refill of a bigger or better house, or a bigger or better car, or a new phone, or a new gun, or a refill of some entertainment experience that was wonderful in life. And I want these things more than I want a refill of God's spirit. And maybe, hear me, just maybe, that's where we're missing out. Maybe we're not finding what we truly desire in life, what we hunger for in life, the joy and the peace that is offered because we keep seeking refills of the wrong thing. I mean, did not Jesus say, blessed, somebody shout blessed. Blessed are you when you hunger. Blessed are you that you thirst for more material things. No. For a new iPhone with the greatest and latest phone, no, uh, camera, no. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You know, as I've traveled the world and I've experienced so many beautiful, wonderful people of different cultures, 
As unique and different as we might be, I've discovered that there are some things that are common to humans. One thing I've discovered, every culture, every place, is that everybody wants, they want to be satisfied. At some level, we want hope. We want joy. We want peace in the midst of this world that is difficult and trying. And according to these verses that we read, written by a man by the name of Paul, but inspired by the Spirit of God himself, breathed from the mouth of God, joy comes as we answer a question again and again and again. Do I want a refill of God's Spirit? It's what the text says. If you look again at verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice the parallel. The parallel is between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit. So question, why do people get drunk? Notice, I didn't say drink alcohol. In Christian circles, there is a debate, and I understand there are wonderful Christian people who disagree on this subject biblically, but from what I can find in the Bible, there is no prohibition, no absolute prohibition against drinking of alcohol. Drunkenness, absolutely forbidden. But you can drink alcohol without getting drunk. Just, just a little side note. A question I'm hearing more and more commonly, a question I can address real quick. People are saying, hey, hey, pastor, I'm about to go to Colorado. <laughs> and they got these things called brownies that ain't just brownies, you know what I'm saying? They got gummies that just aren't gummies, and I'm wanting to know, well, can I participate? You know what I'm saying? You know, there's currently 21 states that uh, allow for the legal use of recreational marijuana. But just because something is legal doesn't make it moral. By the way, you can go to counties in Nevada, and there's other things that are legal, but they're not moral. You know what I'm saying? So the question you have to ask is, what is God's will? What is biblical? Now, you can do a search all day long. You can use the greatest of search engines on the internet, and you can try to search for the word marijuana in the Bible. It does not exist. It's not nuanced in the ancient languages or anything like that. But when the Bible is silent about the subject, it doesn't mean it's utterly silent. What we do is we take principles and we apply them to the subject. So what principles of the Bible might we apply to the recreational use of marijuana? That one. Do not get Drunk. So the question is this, when one participates in marijuana, can you partake of marijuana and not be functionally inebriated? If you can, then I would tell you biblically, just like alcohol, you can use it in moderation until you get to a point of drunkenness. We don't want to get drunk. But from what I can find in my research, and I'm no expert on weed, okay? I'm no expert on all that stuff out there. What I can find is with the intensity of modern day marijuana, even much more so than the 60s when it became popularized, that it is virtually impossible not to be functionally drunk from the moment you take a hit. And according to our text, we are to look carefully how we walk, the choices we make, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Because the days are evil, in our society there will be things that are sometimes legal that are not in God's will. Listen to me. We are a people who hunger for the will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen? That is our people. So think with me. Why do people get drunk? Whether it is the immediate inebriation of taking a substance like marijuana, or it comes from getting refill after refill after refill of alcohol, 
Why is it that people want to do that when they know it will utterly alter the way they think? I think one of the primary motivators, maybe not the only motivator, but the primary motivator is that we're looking for joy. I mean, remember, Paul tells us, verse 15, that the days we live in are evil. Evil means life is difficult. Have you discovered that all the prosperity of the West, all the advancements of science and technology have not solved the issue of difficulty? Life still hurts. Life still has pain. I would even challenge that sometimes we in America, the pain we feel is a deeper kind of pain because we expect the world not to have pain. It's a foolish expectation in my opinion, but we just expect with all the advancements in science and technology, all the advancements in medicines, all that, that struggle should be taken care of. The struggle shouldn't be that intense. There shouldn't be that many difficulties and problems in life. So we have this expectation that life's not supposed to be hard, but then life's hard and it hurts. See, we haven't solved the issue of hurt in life. The nature of difficulty in our nation is different than other cultures, but advancements haven't solved the pain. They haven't solved the issues of difficulty and struggle in human existence. So Paul uses the analogy of drunkenness because people throughout the ages, including today, have sought to escape reality to find some joy in life. It's why they're legalizing marijuana everywhere, my opinion. Think about how the party life is portrayed in the media. Is it warned against or is it glamorized? I mean, come on, it is out there. It is like, come on, thank God it is Friday. Woo, woo, get jiggy, whatever it is. That, ish, that image of me getting jiggy will stick with you for the rest of your life. You will try to poke your brain's eyes out, but you won't be able to do it, okay? The college experience is portrayed as one drunken party after another. Why? Why? We do it primarily to forget, to escape. Why do we want to forget and escape? Life is hard. If I forget and escape, I can be joyful. We want joy. We want joy so desperately that we know that when I enter into a state of drunkenness in my life that I'm likely going to be a fool and make bad decisions. But the bad decisions are worth a little bit of joy in my life. We know that we enter into a state of drunkenness, whether it be, again, the immediate use of something like marijuana or some other drug or the ongoing refill of alcohol. We know I am making myself vulnerable to other people doing some very horrendous things to me. But I want joy so desperately I'm willing to risk that. We all know that when I get drunk, the next morning there's a thing called a hangover. And you can drink the hair of the dog or anything else and your head just still hurts. And there is the bowing to the porcelain idol. And yet we're willing to do it because we want just a little bit of joy in life. People want to be carefree. They want to be uninhibited. They want to be satisfied. And the tragedy of the day is that most Americans, sadly including many Christians, think the only way that I can do that is to take a mind-altering substance that pushes me away from the reality of this life so I can have a temporary joy in life. And by the way, we pursue other things that do the same thing. We'll talk about it in the next series. 
but a lot of our drive and sexuality, sexuality that is unboundaried, is enacting the chemical drugs in your brain that do basically the same thing as marijuana and things like that. We're looking for this temporary joy. And what God is saying, do you hear it? Do not get, do not get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. It leads to debauchery. Instead, God is gently, but he's firmly saying, hey, I know the world's hard. There's a better way to deal with the difficulty of life that is the norm of our society. Make the most of your life. Find the greatest joy. Find satisfaction. And he says, do you want a refill? If you need more, I've got more for you. See, I can't help but think about what was said of the early church. It says in Acts chapter 4, after they, the early church, prayed. And they were praying because they were being persecuted for preaching Jesus in their society. It says the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 13, and the disciples were filled. Somebody shout filled. Filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Come on. Don't most people get drunk because they want joy and they want courage? And here's what we know. We know drunkenness is a foolish courage. And we know drunkenness is a temporary joy at best. And God is shouting to you and I right now, there's another way. There's another way to have courage in life, a non-foolish means to find joy, a way that we can make the best use of our time to walk in the way that I designed for you to walk. And it all comes down to one question. Do I want a refill? Do I want a refill of God's spirit? Let me encourage you. Don't dismiss this as hyper-spiritual church talk. And you're gonna say, David, there's just no way this can be reality. It is too good to be True, hear me, the work of the gospel. When we accept Jesus Christ, he does such an incredible work in our lives. A work that, yeah, we have to grow into more and more, but he does such a work in our lives that he turns our very being into a temple of the Spirit himself. Followers of Jesus carry the person and the presence of God himself. The apostle, same one, Paul, talking to another church in a place called Corinth, was talking about the issue of going to the temples of their day and worshiping by engaging the temple prostitutes. And he said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And when you join yourself to one of those prostitutes, you are joining God himself to the prostitute. That's how much we carry the Spirit of God inside of us. I know it's amazing. I, I know it's incredible to think about. But we carry the very Spirit of God in their person. You will receive power. Somebody shout power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, when the Spirit has filled you. Power for what? Power to become like Jesus. Power to embrace the truths of Jesus in the middle of this evil day. Power to live out the purposes that Jesus has for our lives. Hear me, the Christian faith is not about us just making the best choices we can make. Some of us look at Ephesians 5.15, says look carefully then how we walk, not as unwise but as wise. Okay, I need to make good choices, Jesus. I'm gonna do the very best that I can do. I'm gonna work really, really hard and do the best I can do. If you are doing the best you can do, your faith journey will lead to boredom and despair because you cannot take your faith journey very far. 
The Christian faith was never meant about me learning the ways of God and just doing the best I can. The Christian faith is about me submitting to and relying on the Spirit of God for the power to be and do everything God wants in our lives. Are you hearing me? The Christian life is meant to be a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life. It is regularly us coming before him and saying, God, I need you to fill me. I need more. I need more power. I need more joy. I need more peace. I need more of you. It is a desire to draw near to him and carry his very presence with us wherever we might go. Think about it. When you go to your job tomorrow, you're carrying the spirit of God there. When you're part of the hobbies that you're a part of, you're carrying the Spirit of God. You are a carrier of the presence of God. Just let him do his thing. We ask him to fill us. We ask to carry his presence because his presence makes known to me the path of life, the way I'm supposed to walk to make the best. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, he says, are pleasures evermore. Do I want a refill of God's spirit? What if we started spending our life asking? Ephesians 5 actually tells us some ways we can position ourselves for it to happen. Do not get drunk with wine. That is debauchery. It leads to debauchery. But you can be filled with the spirit. Addressing one another. Notice. This is not a new command. This is actual in the language is a participial phrase. Some of you started to twitch because I took you back to scholastics, right? These words describe how we fulfill the command. Addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul mentions here four, I don't think they're the only four, but he mentions four things that if we regularly do them in our lives, if we regularly put ourselves in these places, it will lead to us getting refilled with God's Spirit. Like, he says, encouraging community. Speak to one another. Say one another. Some of you are saying, David, you hammer that one another thing all the time. When are you going to quit? Never. The Christian life is never meant to be walked in isolation. Relying upon the Spirit of God, relying upon other people. We need people. And people need you. We need one another to encourage one another, struggle with each other, help each other, push each other in life. We need to be sharing what God's doing in our lives. The revelation says they, the followers of Jesus, who make it to the end, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I need the word of your testimony to encourage me. And you need the word of my testimony of what God's doing to encourage you. It is in and through the context of encouraging community that we find ourselves getting filled again and again with the Spirit of God. But that's not all. Next step, we have engaged worship. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Come on, has anybody else ever gone to church and just gone through the motions? Yeah, you're not going to be as honest as me, are you? I have more opportunity for you to do it. Because you usually engage church once a week. I engage three times a week. There's been way too many times I sang the songs but didn't engage my heart. Way too many times that I just went through the emotions. But I'm going to tell you this. When I engage my heart, and I will just tell you as an aside, by the way, it is why I am personally a believer in physical expressions of worship. 
That's why I raise my hands. That's why I kneel. Sometimes I'll be going through the motions, and I say, you know, like, and I, I, I probably have negative self-talk. All the psychologists will tell me, but I'll say, stupid, don't do that. And you're going to say, don't call yourself stupid. Well, okay, I was doing stupid. I'm not stupid. I just was doing stupid. If I'm worshiping and I'm not engaging my heart, that's a foolishness, right? Is that not what the text says? Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So sometimes I'm just going through the motions. I just, okay, let's go. I just get down on my knees, I bow, and I was like, okay, heart, we're going to go. He is worthy whether you feel it or not. Sometimes I just throw up my hands. Sometimes I just shout. I may be the only one in the room shouting, don't care. We engage our hearts, and when I do that, he refills me, gives me his spirit. There's exaggerated thanksgiving. I use the word exaggerated because verse 20 gives two words that we hate. Giving thanks always, say always, and for everything, say everything. You say, David, we're supposed to be thankful always and for everything. But I'm not thankful for everything. I know, I don't think it means we need to be thankful for evil in the world, but we can thank, be thankful for what God's doing in Christ Jesus, even in the midst of evil. Can I so believe in the sovereignty of my Heavenly Father that he really is working in all things for my good? That's what the Scripture promises. And so I can be thankful even in the midst of, uh, midst of difficulty, even in the midst of struggle. Pick it, I lose my job. I can be thankful that I'm not facing the future by myself, but I got a heavenly father who has promised that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I can be thankful that he is there when I lose my job, when my spouse does something idiotic and makes a decision that they shouldn't be making. When I face, and you start naming it, the difficulties of this world, I can be grateful not for that, but for the reality of where I know God's going to be working in the midst of that. That is exaggerated thanksgiving. When you begin to do that, you trust God in the midst of the difficulty. There's a filling of his very presence that comes upon our being. And then we have audacious engagement. Verse 21 says, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I don't think that means we create a church or a society where we have no authority structures. I think what it means, at least at some levels, I know this, the one who submitted serves. So if we're submitted to one another, which I don't think is just us in the church to each other, but I think it's to some level those of us in the world, we serve. Our response to the evil of this day is not to escape, but to engage. And when we see the gospel doing a work through our lives, it brings joy to us. So the Spirit, what he does is he leads us. We step in obedience to what he is doing. Hear me. You will never feel qualified to serve in the areas that God calls you to serve. He'll almost always call you to something where you're saying, hey, hey I don't know that I can do that. But I'm going to step in faith. And when I step in faith, I trust that the Spirit of God's going to fill me and he's going to empower me for the service that he calls me to do. See, there's an old saying. Saying is simple. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And if we will listen to his calling, step into the things that he calls us to do, he fills us with more of his Spirit and does through us what continually amazes us. Grew up in a little Baptist church. My grandfather's name was on the cornerstone. My dad was the youngest deacon ever, and my mom played the piano. I accepted Jesus when I was in um, vacation Bible school, which I think a lot of people had at that time. And I um, was pretty fired up for a while, and then life kind of took over. And uh, anyhow, just uh, started doing life, getting married, career, 
kind of lost my way to some degree, I guess. Um, not necessarily doing anything just horrible, it just wasn't really living the way I knew I should be. And ended up here in Abilene, Texas in 94, and it has since become our home, and Lord willing, we'll never live anyplace else. About uh, five years into our new home here, we, um, we got into a new line of work and uh, started AML. We um, do asbestos works where we got our start. That's what kicked it off. Uh, that's evolved into a lot of demolition and other things. Five or six years ago, went to a men's retreat out in East Texas. A good friend of mine took me to that. Um, met some cool guys. And ever since then, things kind of shifted. And I grew up heavy on God, heavy on Jesus, but there was not a ton of Holy Spirit in my world, for sure. But got very intentional about pursuing that, and still am today. Five or six years ago, I was working. I was getting up every day and trying to provide for my family and be a responsible dad and make good decisions and hustle to the next ball game. And that shifted. About the time that I been to that retreat I spoke of earlier, I hired a lady, uh, one of the finest Christian ladies I know, to be a business coach for me. And she asked me one day, she goes, okay, I can do this two ways. We can do this Jesus, or I can pretend I'm not doing Jesus, but I'm still gonna do Jesus. I said, I'll take full on Jesus. She'd test everything, and I realized I hadn't had goals. I hadn't had, I wasn't aspiring to do something. I wasn't maybe being who I was created to be. Um, I don't know that I was necessarily created to be a contractor, but I feel very strongly that I was created to be a person to love on other people, to lead and help and support and father, if you will. That's, I hate to use that term loosely, but other people. And that's, that's, where, that's the role I've ended up in. We've seen some incredible growth, not necessarily financially, but just all of a sudden, all of a sudden, five or six years, we have grown a great deal, and it's the people. And, and make no mistake, this vessel is about the farthest thing from perfect it could be as far as that. But I do know it's very real to me, and I get nudges and talk to, quite frankly, a lot. And um, try to listen, try to act where I can. I've watched it start to bleed over into my family. I've started to bleed over into my people, my guys I work with. The more I press in, the more I look for, seek after, search, however you want to say it. It's not easy at all. I'm not saying all of a sudden everything got super easy, but really cool things have happened and things that I didn't expect to or things that I was like, nah, I'm not sure we could ever get there. I'm not sure that, well, yeah. As long as I remember, it's not about me and what I'm doing. It's they just try to be obedient when you can. Don't be a nodhead and <laughs> not listen when you're supposed to. Come on. I, I love Trey's story. I know Trey, and he is a man who's very verbose. He uses words really well, and he's having trouble finding words. And the reason he's having trouble finding words is when you live by the Spirit, you're living something that's inexplicable in some ways. But shouldn't our journey of faith have an inexplicable nature to it? 
something you just can't explain. I mean, the human experience is that way. I mean, if I ask you to define the word love for me, you would struggle and stumble, and you'd finally look at me and say, hey, you're just going to have to be in love to understand love. Or if I ask you to define the color blue for me as if I had never seen. I mean, you can do some things, but I'm just telling you, you have to see blue to understand blue. There's things in our existence that have to be experienced to be understood. Don't shy away from that. It's the way it is to walk in the Spirit. I mean, I, I could tell you certain steps and certain things, but at some level, we've got to seek it, as he said. We've got to pursue it. We've just got to ask, and the more we ask, sometimes we feel nothing, and sometimes we have encounters. Sometimes we wonder if I was just being foolish in my asking, and then other times we have moments with the Almighty. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to see the fruit over the course of years in your life. I get it. I get it. What we're looking for in life begins with asking a question. One that we have to live by faith. Do I want a refill of God's Spirit? So before we enter into a time of worship for all of our campuses, why don't you bow your heads? And why don't you be honest with yourself right now? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to respond to this one. So you can just be brutally honest and ask yourself, do I want a refill of God's Spirit? Which I, I, I know means the more I have of God, the more He is going to control. He's going to lead and He's going to guide, which is part of the struggle we have. I get it. Now, maybe you've never even thought about it. And you're like, yeah, I do. I just didn't know I did. But I do want more of God's Spirit. Ask Him to fill you right now. And go on a journey. On your sermon notes, I left, led, left you some past sermon series we've done that speak into this a little bit more. You can explore further. We have regularly around Beltway Park what we call encounter nights and encounter weekends. Those are times that we come just to specifically grow in walking by the Spirit of God. We have an encounter weekend coming at the end of February. You can just log it down and say, I need to be there. Do I want to refill? Say, yes, Spirit of God, fill me. Knowing that if I want to keep being refilled, I need to be in community. So if you're not, find a way to take that step. Know that my Thanksgiving game is going to have to go up. Thankful for all things, all the time. Everything and always. So trusting the Father. Our engagement of the world, our service of the world. God's Spirit is going to call us to step into love. That's what Jesus does. Jesus came. He said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are to serve and give our lives. The Spirit of God will empower you to do it. The easy one is engaged worship. You can do that here in a few minutes. Let's just not go through the motions. Father, it is hard for me to believe that with the struggles that still exist inside of me that your spirit is there. And yet I know from not just experience but from the revelation of your word that is is absolute reality. Thank you. Thank you that your presence is not one that comes and goes but that you are very present in my being right now. Every follower of Jesus, you are present, oh God. But we ask for more of you. Based on your word, 
We say, yes, oh God, we want more. We want you to fill us and we want you to push out everything that would hinder us from the life that you have called us to live, the ways that you want us to walk, every thought that opposes you, every feeling that opposes you, oh God. We want you to drive those things out by the power of your spirit. We want your spirit to consume us. We need power to be who you've called us to be, but we say thank you even in advance. I say thank you now. Spirit of God, come. Come and fill us. Come and work among us. Move among us. We love you. And we ask, Spirit of God, would you give us moments of worship now where we encounter and walk with you, but we want more. We want from our worship. We want a life that honors you. So from this place, fill us through our worship, O oh Spirit of God, that where we go to work tomorrow, where our hobbies might be, how we engage with our families, whatever we might do, people would see you and they would glorify you. Thank you, O oh God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.